one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Frank Gill, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Frank, uh, whose voice my 12-year-old son last night heard and described as sick. Um, Catherine, uh, it, it, that's a compliment, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, n- nothing to add. If your son thinks it's sick, then I, I, bow to his, I bow to his better judgment about what's sick and what's not. Yes, indeed. Well, I actually did think it was very good, uh, if that is exactly what my son was referring to. So thank you very much, Frank, uh, for your cool, in my vernacular, and sick, in my son's vernacular, voice for introducing this edition of the show. Uh, and thank you for being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. If you are listening to this and thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind having a, an intro at the start of a show and potentially being called sick, uh, then you can by becoming a friend of the Tennis Podcast. You can also get a shout out. You can also... If you are quick, you've only got a few days left to do this. You could guest edit a, sh- edit a show. You could take us on in predictions. Um, we even have one executive pro- executive producer slot left, uh, but there are not many, many left, folks. So if you want to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast at one of those levels, get in there quickly. Catherine, how were the quackers? Oh, where to begin, David? They <laughs> did not disappoint it was it was a magical day, absolutely magical. Yeah, mm. Catherine uh, has been in Perth for a while, done the United Cup, and then yesterday did the Quackers. And Matt, what did we wake up to yesterday <laughs> on the Tennis Podcast WhatsApp group? Just an avalanche of photos, fantastic photos that we that we had to judge and, and, and decide which was the best one. I mean, I'm, I'm still getting my head around the fact that, that Catherine booked the early ferry to go and see the Quokkas. It was, it was either 7am or 10am. The, the earliest ferry. Mm, yeah. First one of the day. Earliest. Incredible. I mean, who is this person we're going to meet in Australia? <laughs> <laughs> you And honestly, you saw... You saw about 20% of the total pocket <laughs> photos that are on my phone. I thought I was incredibly <laughs> restrained with my spam, quite frankly. Yeah, ra- 
ration yourself, Catherine. We've got three <laughs> weeks to, to look, look at them. I, um, I would also just, just like to say, um, as, a, as, as an accompanying bit of knowledge to all the Quokka photos that lots of people might have seen on our social media, the lengths that I went to to get those photos... When you're when you're judging the, my Quokka selfie against Roger Federer's, just please bear in mind that I <laughs> look. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think Roger Federer physically crawled on his hands and knees inside a tree in the Aussie bush, <laughs> which is what I did. I have I have cuts all over my legs. <laughs> there was no mud I, on his I, knee. No, I. I woke up this morning absolutely done in. I I cycled <laughs> 30 kilometres yesterday in search of quokkas, stopping at the occasional beach, um, but mostly prioritising the quokkas. Um, lengths were gone to and uh, mm. not in vain. I'm not sensing a great deal of sympathy from our listeners right now. Uh, <laughs> your 30 kilometer ride of a bike in the sunshine looking for cockers. Uh, but, but I take your point. I take your point. You did go to extreme lengths. And Matt's eagle-eyed observation of mud on the knees in the photos was really quite something. And uh, it does, does tell its own story. So listen, we've got loads of tennis to talk about. And in terms of getting up early... Nobody's gone to greater lengths than Matt this morning because he has been up basically all night watching the extraordinary numbers of tennis matches going on back to back and some of them at the same time. Um, So we've got loads and loads to catch up on. Um, Before we do that, let's just remind you of the fact that this edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. Uh, on lo- I can't do it in sync yet, Catherine. <laughs> I have to be in, in your company to pull that off. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I'll work on it. Uh, and also, thank goodness you'll be presenting by the time I get to Melbourne. Um, on Location will be the official hospitality provider of the Olympic and Paralympic Games Paris 20. 2024. That means that you can gain unparalleled access to the Olympic Games when they take place in Paris from Friday the 26th of July to Sunday the 11th of August 2024. So this year, it's only seven or eight months away and you could be in Paris at the Olympic Games. On Location offers you the chance to be a part of history with tailor-made offerings that include guaranteed tickets and a wide range of options to make your time at Paris 2024 truly epic. There are phenomenal packages is available for all sports from swimming to gymnastics fencing to boxing but also private boxes at none other than Roland Garros to watch your favorite tennis players go for gold a special section is now featured at the top of the tennis podcast sponsor page on the on location website that will direct you to their official olympic games travel and hospitality packages you just need to go to tours for tennis dot com forward slash podcast that's tours the number four tennis dot com forward slash podcast packages can be purchased online or a dedicated on location team member can contact you directly to create your perfect package and of course the link is in our show notes and also in our newsletter if you're not subscribed to that yet get on it matt stat is back predictions are back i've already got one wrong and that's because rafael nadal didn't win Brisbane, Catherine. Maybe I should have known better. Well, 
I've got one wrong as well because Poland didn't win the United Cup. And what I was what I was going to say as an addendum to the um, on location um, blurb, read the Olympics and the incredible experience that you could have at the Olympics, courtesy of on location, is TBC on whether you'll have the chance to see Igor Sviantec and Hubert Hurkacz in mixed doubles, I would say. Aha, uh-huh. because we've just witnessed the Poland against Germany final which Igor Sviantek started perfectly by winning the opening rubber against Angelique Kerber. Then Hubert Herkatch had two match points against Alexander Zverev. He wasn't able to take them. There was one, frankly, incredible passing shot on the run from Zverev that caught the outside edge of the line to save the match. And then I'm afraid, from a Hubert Herkatch perspective, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he, he kind of reverted to type and just disappeared for the rest of the match he was not a factor in the rest of that match and then by the time they got to the mixed doubles really Germany were always the better team they got into the decider did Poland but I don't know what did you two think I always felt like Germany were going to end up winning that tie Uh, what did you think Matt Certainly, once it got to the mixed doubles and and that match started, it did feel like Germany had the momentum and also the upper hand on that on that doubles court. I mean, Laura Siegmund is a very very savvy doubles player, isn't she? She she really positions herself well on the court and comes up with some great shots at the right time and uh, sort of gets in gets in opponents' heads. We know all about that as well. So, you know, Zverev and her made a very, very good combination. But it just shouldn't have been allowed to go to the doubles. I mean, H- Hubert Hercatch, I'm sorry, but Alexander Zverev had got to bed at 5.45 a.m. that morning. And he was totally there for the taking. And Hubert Hercatch showed why we don't pick him to go far in slams, why he doesn't go far in slams, why he does have not a great record against sort of players ranked high in the world. You know, he's got he's got such a good game. He's got such an amazing serve. And his, his backhand is kind of on the money all the time. He can come forward. You know, there's so much good about his game. And yet, in the, in those biggest moments, you don't trust him. And... Okay, Zverev came up with that amazing passing shot on on the first match point. Incredible shot. But then Hercatch made three unforced errors and gave away the tie break. And then his energy in the third set was really, really poor, you know, compared to Zverev, who was knackered, clearly. You know, that was the element where Hercatch had such a huge advantage. He sort of lost it a bit mentally as well. He was lucky not to get disqualified at one point, the way he threw his racket and, and, and almost hit the ball kid at the back of the court. It, it was just all over the place from Hercatch. You know, he, he was, I know he was trying his best, but it, it did just feel like he was sort of doing everything he possibly could so that Poland didn't win this title. And, you know, and then that sort of carried over into the mixed doubles as well, where, you know, he was going after Sviantek's shots and leaving the court a bit open and just not not positioning himself well. You know, just a really tough day for Hubert Hercatch, um, but one that isn't that much of a surprise, really. Like, it is kind of in, in, in keeping with, with what we've seen from him in the past in really tight 
big moments. His his game can can fold in on itself a little bit, and and that's not a it's not a good trait to have. And and it's so contrary to Iga Swiatek, you know, who who raises her game in, in in big moments. Seeing that seeing that contrast was was just kind of extraordinary to witness. But um, yeah, an, an unbelievable comeback from Germany, who were on the ropes in the semi-finals as well. So so to win it in such dramatic fashion in both the semi-finals and the final late at night both times hell of a team effort from from Kerber Siegmund and Zverev yeah it's it will be interesting I mean I think Kerber I don't view as a factor at the Australian Open other than it's great to see her back I just feel like it's too big a stretch to imagine that she could contend for the title and she did take pretty lopsided defeats to Zachary and to uh, Sviontek, although she had a good win against Tom Lianovic uh, in, in in a really epic match, just packed house, very very great, good contest. Um, I th- I think it will be interesting uh, what Zverev does at the Australian Open because I think he's rarely come in to the events. I think he has had great end of seasons, but this is the first time he's come out at the start of the season and really looked like he's elevated. Uh, and and I wonder whether this has taken maybe a bit out of him but then he does have a week to to prepare for for the event but he was he was frankly incredible the last couple of days and um and yeah we'll we'll, we'll watch to see what what he ends up going on to do he did though take a defeat the day before Catherine to Alex Diminor and talking about people elevating their levels I would say he has elevated his level to probably a point that I didn't think he'd got in him and based on the results that he's had this week, I know it's not it's not quite the same as, as an Australian Open, but what has he beaten? He's beaten Taylor Fritz. He's beaten Novak Djokovic, who, well, I, I, I didn't see the match. I know he was feeling his wrist. Um, and, I, and I don't believe that is the same Novak Djokovic as we'll be getting in a week's time. But it's still significant um, that, that he actually beat him in a competitive match. And then he's fought back to beat a guy who'd got a 6-1 record against him in Zverev. What, what, what did you make of what you saw from, from Diminor? Yeah, well, just taking the Zverev match to start with, I think that's a heck of a win for Alex Diminor. Personally, I think as impressive as the win over Djokovic because all respect to Diminor for that win over Djokovic. A win over Djokovic is always a win over Djokovic. I do think it will have a, a pretty heavy asterisk next to it in terms of Djokovic's fitness and his willingness to go to the Djokovician dark places to win. Um, I don't, I think he would have preferred to win. Of course, he's Novak Djokovic. Um, but there is a difference between Djokovic that is willing to put his body on the line for victory at all costs and, and that wasn't the Djokovic that Dominal was playing. Zverev though, as you say David, this is Zverev in peak Zverev form, utterly grooved, utterly in that groove, you know, played himself into possibly the best tennis I've ever seen him play and Dominor, however well he's playing, has this 6-1 and one head-to-head against him that does not lie that matchup is well up until last night was horrible 
for Alex Domenor. And it looked pretty horrible throughout that opening set, I thought. It was very gritty from Domenor, but it felt like he was hanging in all the way through that opening set. And then the inevitable dam bursting and, and, and Zverev winning it, winning it in the end. And it all felt like it was proceeding to script, really. And I, I'm so impressed with the grit that Alex Domenor showed and not just the grit but the the game to back up that grit he is his movement and his speed has always been gasp inducing but to see an element of explosivity in his game sort of added to that it has made him actually in in moments quite spectacular and I would never I don't think I've ever ever said the word spectacular and Alex de Menor in the same sentence sorry like I've always had a a lot of respect for him and liked him as a person and all the rest of it but spectacular explosive these have not been the words that I've associated but like I, I don't have I don't have the the numbers in front of me I'm not I'm not a slave a slave to them but from the eye test and I've watched him in person over the course of the last week he has beefed up every single shot there must be more kilometers per hour on absolutely on the serve and on the ground strokes as well I mean he is a he physically looks bigger to me on the court he he looks taller in stature you can see he's you know he's always going to be a certain certain body type he hasn't suddenly turned into the hulk but he just looks more solid and he has more presence I can just he just feels like a different tennis player to me I still think there's a ceiling he's not suddenly Carlos Alcaraz but I thought there was a ceiling prior to what I've seen this week and he's pushed that ceiling upwards so who's to say that he can't again I am I'm so impressed with him. I think I think the draw is going to be crucial and very interesting from an Alex de Menor perspective, but he's a top 10 player and that's kind of snuck up on me a bit, Alex de Menor making it into the top 10, but he deserves to be. Yeah, first Australian to reach the top 10, first male Australian to reach the top 10 since Hewitt in 2006. Like, that's... That's a big deal for, for Alex de Menor to get there. And look, I think he he had that win last year at the United Cup, didn't he, against Rafael Nadal? And that was a little bit similar to his one over Novak Djokovic this year, I suppose. Like it was a, it was a slightly compromised version of that all-time great. But I think he, he, he backed it up brilliantly with that win over Zverev here and it, it does show an elevation and, and the one against Fritz as well you know it's three top 10 wins in a row um, that's really really impressive and I thought his serve against Djokovic was so good I mean as as we said Djokovic was struggling he was out of sorts he was feeling his wrist but even so I would have felt like maybe Dumanor previously would have been one of those players that Djokovic would be able to beat even not at his sharpest but Dumanor just didn't allow that he only lost one point on serve behind his first serve against Novak Djokovic I mean that's the sort of thing that John Isner or Riley Apelka or Ivo Karlovic might possibly do but probably still not and, and that, even that was that when he was serving right at the it. end of the match yeah wasn't it he was so close to the yeah. clean slate 
<laughs> I had to I had to change my tweet that was ready about oh 100 percent first serve points one but you know um, you know and and also he's he was using a slice backhand that was something that Jim Courier was very impressed with in commentary and I've seen him do that a little bit against Medvedev he's he's had a couple of wins over Medvedev and that slice has been a good shot and yeah just these little incremental improvements in his game to create an overall package that is much improved on where he was a few years ago and. I, I do think he gets a, a boost playing for Australia. You know, he is one of the players who is a better version of himself when he when he puts on the green and gold, as he would say. And he, he particularly loves the Ken Rosewell Arena in Sydney, doesn't he? He, he, he describes that as his favourite court in the world. So, you know, being able to replicate that outside of this event is is another challenge for him. But I think he can. And, and, I, and I hope he can because, he's as you said, he's really... He's a really fun presence to have around when you combine just this potential to win big matches with the with the speed and explosivity that he has in his game. He he's a really good watch. So um, yeah, fair play, Alex Dumanor. He, he's he's got the he's the spirit of a sensation, isn't he? But in the in the body of a top ten player. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, he certainly gets the hype of 10 sensations uh, when he's over in Australia. And I mean, look, if he plays Djokovic again, you watch. They will be referring back to this win he's had as if this is the, the moment that, it, that we should all be remembering rather than the absolute drumming he took at the hands of Djokovic a year ago. I'm afraid to say I still think he would he would probably lose fairly handily if they played each other in Aus- in, in Melbourne. But but I think he'd make it closer, certainly. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, in terms of Djokovic generally, while I didn't watch the match, I did watch the interview you did with Goran Ivanisevic, courtside Catherine, in which he very clearly made it clear that uh, this was not a serious injury in his mind. And uh, Novak Djokovic had got three matches in, were his words. You know, he got a few matches in, and and I I think that he's exactly generally where he'll probably need to be. Obviously, we, we don't know whether an injury might be more serious than, than than we see, but just based on history and and the vibes I'm I got from that, I, I think Djokovic will be just fine by the time Melbourne comes around. Um, ju- just as a final point on the United Cup, we did touch on it a week ago. And I feel even more strongly now, this was a major move on from a year ago in terms of the format they used, in terms of the the kind of acceptance of the the public and and the 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 buy-in really that the atmosphere the last few days. And I would expect a good atmosphere when Australia play, but it was immense. And even today, Poland against. Germany, which is a which is a test for a, for an event, a big final like that in in Australia, I would say, it was packed and it was a great atmosphere, and and it was just so cool that so many matches came down to the mixed doubles decider. Catherine, I, I just feel like that event two years in has already shown that it has got the goods. Yeah, absolutely, it felt very apt, didn't it? That um, that the final came down to to the mixed doubles and indeed to to a match tie break in the mixed doubles because it did feel to me that so many of the matches had been decided that way and and for me that's exactly what you want from this kind of event that's its usp and you want that front and center as much as possible and i really really enjoyed it i enjoyed seeing these players 
in different types of environment, both sort of tennis-wise and atmosphere-wise. Iga Svantec, for example, I don't think she's a natural team environment person, just like Novak Djokovic, really. I think she's an incredibly tunnel-visioned, fastidious, leave no stone unturned in the pursuit of my own personal goals type person and and I still you know I don't think she's had a personality transplant over the course of the last 10 days and yet I I saw her sort of find a way to make that fit within a team environment and actually she had a really cool vibe I thought up until about 25 minutes ago with Hubert Hercatch not sure what the vibe will be like right at this moment she was she was absolutely gutted wasn't she um in defeat in tears on the sidelines and and I know I'm I always sound so awful when people cry because I'm like I love to see that but I I do love to see that I love to see provided that she's you know overall okay I love to see the the indicators of of how much they care especially in this event which is finding its feet and its place in the tennis world I think things like that kind of kind of matter in terms of its it, its validation in the tennis world um I still think there's some tweaks that could be made I don't love um the whole best best runner-up qualifying for the quarterfinals thing I think that is a bit muddy and complicated I, I'm not sure tennis has ever figured out the best way to do round robin and I certainly haven't figured it out either but I do know that it's not three three teams slash players in a group I don't think and this applies to Billie Jean King Cup this applies across the board board I don't think three teams in a group really works I know why they've tried to do it I know why they have to have um lots of teams I know I know why there have to be six groups of three they have to provide you know it's essentially a tour event they have to provide playing opportunities to as many countries as possible it can't just be for the elite nations etc etc I'm as always I'm quite sure there are factors at play that I either don't know about or haven't considered and I know it's incredibly difficult but for me I would find a way to change that um, because I just think it's proven not to really be the best way forward as a format but but I like that this event hasn't been too proud to make really significant changes and I I kind of trust them to continue tweaking it for for the better on the basis of the progression over the past couple of years yeah well I just hope ultimately that it is allowed to have a future because there's so much talk currently about uh, a Saudi Arabia event coming in to disturb that situation one last point and this is uh, as as everyone will know not unique or specific to the united cup but matches in general shouldn't be finishing at 1am and certainly not your two the the culminating moments of your two biggest ties shouldn't be taking place at 1am local time after the last train has literally left the station stop doing this tennis stop it yeah yeah Yeah. 
I'm glad you said that because Alex de Menor had just won this incredible match over Alexander Zverev in the semi-final and that, that, that followed the Kerber Tomjanovic epic and it was set up for this dramatic, brilliant mixed doubles, which was dramatic and brilliant. 15-13, I think, in the match tiebreak. And Alex Dimonor had, had pleaded for the crowd to get noisy and get rowdy. And, you know, that was ex- I was so pumped for it. But then you realise, actually, it's like it's the early hours in Sydney and people have got to get home and, and the train's left. And by the end of that mixed doubles in the semi-final, I mean, the, the stadium was was virtually empty, understandably. I mean, those that were there were still making a good noise, but it was a shame. And, and tennis does keep doing this. And it's so frustrating because everything else about the event, you know, I, I completely agree about the, the, the group stage format with, with three in the round robin. But sort of everything else, the, the emphasis on the mixed doubles, the look of it on TV, all, all the social media that was, that was produced by the tournament was all really, really good, what you want for an event. And um, it's... It's it's much improved on last year. This this slightly streamlined version, and yeah, I hope it's I hope it's got a future because it really adds to the um, to the first week of the season. I think the ATP Cup took away, you know, it sort of it sort of kiboshed the other events, and um, there was just there was just too much faff, and there was also sort of what's the point of this? We've just had the Davis Cup, but the United Cup really does add, I think, to the first week of the season, and um, I hope they're allowed to just keep improving it. And as you said, I I trust that they will if they get that chance. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. And it's great to see Brisbane back, as you referenced last week, Matt, as part of the new setup. And overnight, we had the two biggest names in that draw facing off in Elena Rybakina and Arena Sabalenka. But I did not expect to wake up to a scoreline, a scoreline of six love, 
6-3 for Rebecca. You were you were up. You were up at 4.30 to watch that. Um, tell us tell us what happened. So much overwhelming tennis stuff happened this morning, and it was not even 9.30 a.m. I mean, so much to get your head round. And, and this was one of the biggest things to get your head round because I guess I've just come to expect Rebecca Sabalenka matches to be really, really great and, and high quality and close because so many of their matches have been. Of course, we all remember last year's Australian Open final, which was just one of the all-time great Grand Slam finals. Um, but I suppose it it was this scoreline, the kind of thing that can happen when you get two massive hitters coming up against each other. And I think it's been extraordinary that their matches have been so good up and up until this point. Because it doesn't take much for just one player to be a little bit off and one player to be at the absolute peak of their powers, as was the case here. Sabalenka was pretty error-strewn and Rebekina was unbelievably good. And then you get this this huge disparity in the scoreline. Mostly what I remember is how good Rebekina was. I mean, it took an hour for Sabalenka to hold serve. Um, the difference in demeanour was just kind of extraordinary. We're back in a so calm, so poised. Sabalenka, a little bit like the Sabalenka we sometimes see in these really big matches. You know, she can she can get a little flustered, a little in her own head. But I thought Rebecca was stunning. And if anyone needed the off season, I think it was her, wasn't it? You know, her her first half of 2023 was much better than her second half when. She got ill and injured halfway through the season and it always felt like she was she was trying to catch up to the level that she'd shown at the start of the year but never quite able to do it with the just relentlessness of the schedule. But she's had a break and she's come out and she's just playing the most brilliant tennis. Only dropped only dropped fifteen games in in five matches. So it wasn't just a one off in this final. You know, she was absolutely on it the entire week. Um yeah really really impressed she her serve was back you know we, we we talked a lot last year about how her serve tailed off through the second half of the season high percentage today a lot of cheap points yeah just impossible to be anything other other than impressed and anyone who can take the racket out of Arena Sabalenka's hand like that's a remarkable feat because Sabalenka normally you know normally when she loses I still feel like Sabalenka's in control of the match you know, I think of her losses at the Slams last season. Mukova, Jabur, Goff, they were all able to disrupt Sabalenka and throw her off her rhythm. But ultimately, the matches felt on Sabalenka's racket. And this one just did not at all today because of how brilliant Rebekina was with her own power game. Yeah, just just an incredible performance. And I look, I think it puts her right up there as a favourite at the Australian Open. You know, I, th- I think she's... I'd probably put her and Sviantec side by side as as the favourites right now. And that's so fascinating, isn't it? Because of their head-to-head and the difficulties mm-hmm. that even peak Sviantec has had against Rebecca in the past. I mean, I feel like going into to every slam, there's kind of one match that I insist that, that <laughs> the draw and the tournament gives us. And on the women's side, for me, it is... Shontek Rabatkina, I'm desperate for it because Shontek has 
made technical adjustments to her game this off season, specifically geared at dealing with with Rabatkina and Sabalenka, but in particular Rabatkina, I think, because she's had a bit of a, a match-up problem. Rabatkina seems to have been able to take time away from her consistently in their meetings better than better than anybody can. She looks rushed, or she has in the past looked rushed against Rabatkina, and she's she's... She's been trying to shorten those swings, hasn't she, and get more out of her serve um, to try and kind of match Rabatkina for cheap points. I mean, I'm not sure anybody can can match Rabatkina just just at the moment at her peak. But oh, I I so desperately want to see that match, and I've no idea who I would pick to win it. I've seen I've seen so much of Shontek in the past week, and I've been so seduced by her game she just looks so bang on it I can't can't believe how well those changes have bedded in as I said on the previous podcast but equally I know it's different against Rebecca and matchups are everything in this sport and this looks to be absolute peak Rebecca again and it really does emphasize the fact that I don't think she was physically I don't think she's been physically right since the start of the clay court season I really don't think that second half of last year was was the real Rabatkina, and I think on the basis of this week, the real Rabatkina is back, and that's exciting. Yeah, that was that was occurring to me as as you were talking us through that match that we finally got what you've been asking for, Catherine, a, a fresh human being again, somebody who's not just jaded by the. The rigours of the tour, it's so relentless. Um, so yeah, Rebecca goes in in tip-top form, as does Sviantec. It will be fascinating. Um, we also had in Brisbane victory for a very different kind of player in <laughs> Grigor Dimitrov, who overcame Holger Rune 7-6, 6-4 in the final. First title since 2017, more than six years ago. And I felt pretty moved by what I saw from Grigor Dimitrov, who anybody who's listened to this over the last nearly 12 years of podcasting, Catherine, will know that he's always been kind of our guy, hasn't he? And uh, we, we've always hoped that, I guess, he would have done a lot more with his career than he has. Um, certainly, I, I thought he would do a lot more than he has. And yet it's only now, in his early 30s, I said this a few times last year, and I feel it even more now, that he understands his own game today better than he ever has. And frankly, if he could have come to this realisation and this focus and kind of just self-belief as to what he's doing and, and clarity, he would have been somebody achieving a lot more over the years. And yet, maybe there's still maybe there's still something ahead. What do you think, Catherine? That's a hell of a win today. He's looking dangerous, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, look, I, I think, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from the man himself, but this is a heck of a coaching job from Jamie Delgado. Think of how many people Grigor Dimitrov has worked with over the years and no this isn't his first title it's not even his biggest title and I know general age and maturity will be 
playing a part in what you just described, David, him sort of coming to realisations about his game. But age and maturity come with downsides as well. They come with an awful lot of baggage. So for Jamie Delgado to be getting this out of him, this that others have tried to unlock and and f- tried valiantly to unlock and yet still failed, I find tremendously impressive, actually. I find it tremendously impressive that he's managed to carry over form, indoor form from the end of season into outdoor form at the start of the next season. That's bloody difficult to do, especially with a a player like Grigor, who you just feel like it, instinctively because of because of that baggage you just described, because we carry that baggage as well from watching him, it just instinctively feels frail, doesn't it? You feel like, oh God, don't nobody move. It could all it could all fall apart. Um <laughs> I'm not gonna answer your question about what it means <laughs> and what he's gonna do in Melbourne. <laughs> I'm gonna Oh, I just I don't know, Matt. Come on, what do you think? It's it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I would say he's playing like the smartest tennis of his career, as you said. Like he he understands his game better than he ever has, and crucially, he's he's managed to do that at a time where he's still incredibly good physically. Like I like he's he's still able to defend when he has to, and instead sort of seeing him go toe to toe today in those rallies with Hogaruna, you know, who is you know an incredible athlete as well, shows that he hasn't he hasn't lost a lot there. So there is still time. I think it's you know it's not like it's not like he's suddenly figured out his game, but he's physically declined and he can't make the most of it. But of course, the big the big question is that that baggage that he's that he has built up and. Whether he's, you know, whether his nerve lasts in in big matches when he, you know, if he has, if he has Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals, for example, like tennis wise, I think Grigor can can maybe win that match. You know, obviously Sinner's tennis is phenomenally good as well, but Dimitrov's got ways to hurt him. But do we trust him mentally? And I I don't think we can answer that question until we see it. But it's it's amazing that he's that he's making these strides at, at at this stage in his career. There was a slight um there was a slightly amusing moment at the end of the match when he had won it and he, he, he held out his his five fingers, which which everyone was interpreting as that's how long it's been since his last title. And and I was like, well I hope it wasn't that, because it's actually been six years. Like <laughs> So maybe Maybe the five fingers was something else, um, but generally it's it's a really good time to be Grigor Dimitrov, and and I loved the way that going into that final with Holgeruna, the interviewer said to him, "Oh, you're up against a, a great all court player," and he said, "Yeah, but I'm a great all court player as well." You know, he, there's a, there's, on, a, there's, a, there's a confidence to him, and he and I loved I loved hearing that, and um, yeah, what a what a special moment for him to finally win another title and. He did have a good year last year. He didn't take many bad losses at all. He just wasn't finishing tournaments off. And once he put himself in a good position, he he, he might crack. But already he's shown an improvement in, in 2024 again. So really, really impressive. And I can't I can't sort of do this section of the podcast while we're getting our hopes up without just mentioning the fact that the only player to, to take a set off him in Brisbane 
was one Andy Murray. So <laughs> maybe there are good signs for Andy Murray as well. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I'm just oh, looking up uh, Dimitrov's live ranking, by the way, 14. So he, that'll, unless there are pullouts, that'll be his seeding uh, at the Australian Open. Um, so he's going to be a fourth round opponent for one of the very top guys. And none of them are going to want him. Oh, actually, maybe well, Djokovic will want him. <laughs> and Zverev will want to because he always beats him. I mean, this is oh, the, the okay. certain people. <laughs> There's just certain people that are a real problem for Dimitrov over the best of five, I think. And there's certain people he can cause real problems too. So the draw really will be important, I think, for him. Um, and I think that that's true of a few of these guys. I think, And on, on both sides, on the women's draw too, I think it's a really interesting draw. One of the most interesting that I can remember for a while. He's beaten Alcaraz, hasn't he? Mm. Beat Alcaraz yeah. at the end of yeah. last year. Yeah, no, it's it's... I think it's fascinating, and I think there's a lot there's a lot of depth to the to the draws and a lot of intrigue. I, I can't wait for it all. One one person who isn't part of that intrigue, I'm sorry to say, uh, oh. is Rafael Nadal. And oh. I think if you went back a few days <laughs> and you were in the tennis podcast mm. WhatsApp group, you'd have been <laughs> very much thinking that Rafael Nadal would be part of the intrigue because we went from thinking, "What chance has this guy got?" Uh, to to thinking anything's possible. It's a good um, because job he, we didn't he record a podcast wins. on Thursday because I think we'd have to delete it now. <laughs> I posted a photo of him with the Roland Garros trophy. <laughs> on <laughs> publicly? No, in our WhatsApp. Group. Oh, well, yes, you did. <laughs> you did. Uh, Dominic team first of all got beaten and then he Aww. then he defeated Jason Kubler um and he just he just looked so ravenous for the sport he looked like he had been caged and was let out and he was just going to run a mock all over everybody um, that's one way of looking at it. another way of looking looking back on it is Matt posted a picture of him with the Roland Garros trophy after a victory over Jason Kubler <laughs> Yes, but you know it's we were getting po- it's excited. Possible, it's possible, guys. We were getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Who can say? <laughs> and then while we were recording our tennis relived uh, edition, looking back at the 2008 Australian Open, he also happened to be playing against Jordan Thompson at the time, which we'd all got up on the screen and was sort of concentrating on that as well. Do go and have a listen to that tennis relived show if you're a friend of the tennis podcast, or become a friend. Uh, for that matter, and uh, and you'll be able to listen to that and many more other bonus podcasts aside. I uh, really enjoyed doing that tennis relived on 2008, rolling back the years. Um, but but shortly after this match against Jordan Thompson and, and towards the end of it, you saw him having conversations with a very pensive-looking Carlos Moyer and Mark Lopez, and the dad was in the box, and he, he'd hurt himself you could tell he'd, he'd pulled something it was just a question of what how bad was it he gave a press conference he said I don't know what my future is going to be um, and then this morning about four seconds after Grigor Dimitrov had won the title uh, he, he posted a tweet to say that um, during his last match in Brisbane he'd had a small muscular problem in a similar sort of area a micro tear and a muscle in the similar sort of area where he had the surgery but not actually that same thing um, it doesn't sound serious, he says, but 
he's going to pull out the Australian Open and and try to avoid being out for several months rather than just a little while. Um, and so, yeah, no Australian Open for Rafael Nadal. Matt, can we afford, from a Nadal perspective, to be enthusiastic and uh, optimistic based on what we've seen? Or do the do the, the fact that he's put two matches in, two and a half matches in, and pulled up injured make you feel this is probably not going to happen? It does make me regret putting the photo of him with, with the Roland Garros trophy <laughs> in the WhatsApp group. Um, <laughs> what I would say is that Nadal is being positive, isn't he? That is overall quite a positive message. And Nadal is not always that guy. He he, he is sometimes very serious with with these statements. And, you know, he really lets you lets you feel when it's bad. And I I didn't quite get the sense with this one. I think it's very much a, well, there's absolutely no way I can play the Australian Open, but it doesn't mean that my comeback generally is is ruined. And and he's mentioned in that statement that he wants to be at his best level in three months. And of course, that is conveniently the time when the clay court season starts. And I I get the sense now that that is... That's the heart of his comeback, isn't it? And generally, he has not been injured on clay through his career. You know, that, that has been a surface which has... I mean, it's kind of on everyone's body, isn't it? But it's, it's you know, Nadal and clay, they just, they just go hand in hand with each other. And he's tended to be able to get through the clay court season without, without too many injuries. But it is a worry that he's... You know, staying fit is going to be the problem, I think, because we saw the level of tennis... If he's playing like that on any surface, but especially on clay, he's going to be beating most players, I think. But whether he can whether he can actually stay fit is the issue. But I I trust Nadal's statement there, and I'm I'm, I'm taking some positives that this is not the same injury. It's it's minor. It's obviously a huge blow to be out of the Australian Open. It really is when he's gone all the way over to Australia. And he had this huge grin on his face, didn't he? You know, and he was he was talking about his comeback being a great news. And I just thought, we are so back. And then to have it end like that so abruptly is, is such a shame. But I do hold out some hope that the clay court season can still bring a lot of joy for Rafael Nadal this season. I, I, I do believe that. Nadal on clay is is different. It's It's less less bad on his body um and he's got another three months to build up some strength i think i think we can be optimistic but i won't be posting him with the coupe de musquetaire again until he's actually holding it probably best to ditch indian wells and miami rafa i think Somebody, somebody might have even written we are so back in the whatsapp group i can't i can't remember who the, the the other uh, interesting uh, additions to the WhatsApp group, Catherine, were were when Naomi Osaka was playing, and it's quite fun when there's a match that's at about two a.m. <laughs> our time, and Catherine's yeah, up this in good. Perth and and saying Osaka looks seriously good, and then uh, I still say she looks good, even though Pliskova won <laughs> in the next message. <laughs> um, but I mean, you yeah, were generally encouraged, Catherine, weren't you? You, you know, you you. You you saw that match. I didn't see it. I did see the first round match she played. We talked about that last week. But generally, 
you know, the, the chances are you're going to run into somebody who's got it together a bit more than you when you've had that long out. And she was close and she was encouraged and you were encouraged. I was really encouraged. I mean, I, the last thing, the hardest thing to get back when you're coming back, as I understand it, is the match toughness, the the ability to play your best when the pressure is most on. It's something you absolutely just simply cannot replicate in practice. The only way to do it is to put yourself in those positions, which is why I think it was it was good for her that she ended up going three sets in her opening match. I think it'll end up being good for her that she had a tough match against Pliskova, even though she lost it. I think, I, I don't think, you know, winning matches two and two is necessarily what she needs by now. I'm pretty convinced that the level is there, that she she can she can hit that level. I thought the ball striking was great. The movement was great. I mean, if you've got those two things, if Naomi Osaka can get herself in a position to strike a tennis ball, then she's as good as anybody at it. So those are the two things I was looking for. I thought the serve looked pretty good. It was it was just when the pressure was on, she just drops a little bit. E- either either made an error or just backed off a little bit or doubted herself a little bit. I I think that will come back. I don't think she's lost her nerve. I just think she needs to keep being in those situations so I actually think that I mean look the draw is going to be critical for her she's not going to be seeded she could face Iga Svantec in the first round so obviously the draw is critical but I actually think it could be good for her to have some tough matches earlier on obviously tough matches that she ideally wins but I don't think it'll be any bad thing for her to really work her way into the competition. But you can't do that if you get get Iga Shontek in the first or second round. So all eyes on the draw once again. But I think the level is there from Osaka. I was overall extremely impressed. And I just loved the way she was talking and loved... There was so much more lightness about her energy around the place and I know that's the freshness of the start of a season and the start of a comeback and I'm sure some of the scene will wear the sheen will wear off but hopefully not all of it I'm 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 I remain extremely excited but I won't be posting photos of her with the Daphne Atkirst trophy in our WhatsApp <laughs> group just yet <laughs> we're learning and growing <laughs> Yeah. You wait. You wait until you see what I'm going to post of Grigor in a week or so. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the 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 two remaining tournaments that were happening amongst the 600 that Matt watched overnight were Auckland and Hong Kong. Uh, Coco Goff winning Auckland, beating Alina Svitolina six seven six three six three in the final. Uh, Andre Rublev beating Emil Rusevori six four six four in the Hong Kong final. I watched him overcome Artafis, obviously, uh, about three days ago uh, in a in a pretty tight match and and Rublev yeah, he had his he had his troubles in that but he got through it and he just kind of wins what you what he's supposed to win doesn't he um what about Coco Goff Matt's because I guess you could say she won what she was supposed to as well but it's it's mightily impressive isn't it that she just comes out no sort of 
drama and just wins. Yeah, so this is back-to-back Auckland titles for her now. She uh, she won it last year. She's defended it. She was the favourite to defend it. You know, she was by far and away the best player in that draw and, and she cruised through to the final without without dropping a set. But then really, really tested in this final against Vitalina. And it probably should have been 6-3, 6-3 to Coco Golf. She was 5-3 up in that first set, serving for it, had 40-15, hit a double fault and struggled at the end of that set. And once Vitalina gets her teeth into a match, she becomes so difficult to shake off. So I think it's really impressive that um, that Coco Goff managed to reset after losing that first set in a tie break. And then she won the next two sets, 6-3, 6-3. It was kind of like, okay, put that first set behind me. I've just got to, just got to do that again, but just finish it off. And she did that twice. Um there were certain occasions where Svitolina was was trading forehands with her and trying to break it down and target it, and it did leak some errors. But generally, it was a, a good all-round complete performance from Coco Goff. Um, and she goes into the Australian Open, you know, for the first time as a as a major champion going into a Grand Slam. I always think that's that's an adjustment for a player. You know, that can. That can be a great thing to have that experience. I always remember what Naomi Osaka said about actually kind of, I mean, she did just win her second slam immediately after her first, didn't she? But she said it's hard because you know how hard it is to win a slam, you know, whereas when you're going into a slam without it, you're maybe, you maybe play with a bit more freedom. But Coco Goff is with a bit of a target on her back and it's just, it's just a new experience for her. And I, I can't wait to see to see her at the Australian Open she's she's perfectly tuned up for it and um this was a very impressive win and also a very impressive week for Alina Svitolina who has continued where she was last season I don't think she played after the US Open did she but you know she was right back there again as the player we saw last season a little bit more aggressive a little bit more on her ball brilliant tussle with Emma Raducanu that she had she looks physically really strong as well so lots Lots to um, to enjoy from her perspective as well. Just a, just a nice tournament, Auckland, I always think. Yeah. Um, and actually, as you mentioned there, some encouragement for Emma Raducanu, who has, like Naomi Osaka and Rafael Nadal, just come out of zero, really, and, and found a way to piece some good tennis together, seemingly okay physically um had a real tussle there with Svitolina and, and now gets um a wild uh, gets into the Australian Open without needing a wild card because one or two players have been forced to withdraw so um let's hope Raducanu can stay fit as well also just a, a quick note from Hong Kong on the form of um Jerry Shang who is a player we've mentioned once or twice over the course of the last year had a very good run just loved seeing these players have a bit of a breakout and then following their progress when they go into a grand slam. Can they can they build on it? And um and that's what we'll be looking to monitor over the next few weeks because uh, we'll be off to Australia in just a couple of days' time, Matt and I, to join Catherine uh, in Melbourne. Um and yeah, we've we've thoroughly enjoyed, I think, the first week of the tennis tour. Um but what we also just wanted to to touch on was the coverage of that tennis tour because Matt has, as as you've been hearing, been up all night watching tennis matches. They've been available, which is which is great. All you want to be able to do is watch the tennis matches. Um, one note I saw this morning from the the German journalist Yannick Schneider was that 
despite Germany winning the United Cup, it was an event that wouldn't have been seen by that many people in Germany because it was only on tennis TV. I don't know what the exact right situation is in Germany, but that's disappointing. And we here in the UK, we have been inundated with emails from tennis fans over the last couple of weeks concerned about the sort of coverage of the sport on TV because this follows a a rights change over here with Sky Sports taking over the ATP and WTA tours along with the US Open, which, uh, which was from last year, from Amazon Prime Video. Now, a bit of background, Sky held those rights for some 20 plus years until 2018. I mean, that's how I grew up really got interested in the sport was watching Sky's coverage. I used to love watching Jerry Williams and Bill Threlfall and all the all the 90s commentators and the coverage they had. It was absolutely fantastic. And that went to Amazon Prime Video in 2018. They held those rights for, for five years and Sky have now come back to take them over. Now, you probably know that Catherine, of course, hosted the Amazon coverage and, and I do want to be open and disclose that and, and reference it as part of the conversation. But it is frankly irrelevant, I think, to that conversation. It's not why we're talking about it. We know many people who work for the Sky team. Um, I've worked many Grand Slams with Gigi Salmon and Jonathan Overend, who are heading up their team. They're, they're brilliant. They're really great, excellent broadcasters, and I, I have no doubt they're going to do a really good job with it. The reason we're getting so many emails and there's so much chat about the coverage and its future at the moment is a because at the moment sky haven't replicated the amazon service in terms of the ability to choose which match viewers want to watch matt touched on that a week ago it's it's kind of like being going back in time i here's here's your running order watch it and no choice involved and the second thing is is the price um, I, I have had a, a look into the price and what you can get Sky Sports for here in the UK if you don't already have it. You can get it without any other t- channels, just the sports stuff on Now TV for £34.99. So that's about £420 a year. If you already have Sky without sports, it will cost you about another £20 or so to add them. So that's going to be about 500 and something in total. Now, by way of comparison, the current Amazon Prime membership is costing me £95 a year or £8.99 a month. So you're talking about a quarter of the price of what tennis fans are going to be asked to pay now uh, as a result of, of this change. There is the option of tennis TV, as I mentioned, in Germany. That's going up, though, from 9.99 to 11.99, and they only show ATP matches. You won't get the WTA tour on that at all, or the US Open. And, and Matt said, you said last week, that really the WTA tour is the, the loser in that, because there are just so many matches over the last week that have not been available to watch here in the UK. So I, I asked somebody I know at Sky whether they are going to have match-by-match service um, and was told that at the moment they can't say anything about it and when they can, they will let us know. Um, I did see on Twitter that somebody wrote to a one of the Sky Sports tennis producers and, and just pleaded for them to, to bring all court coverage um, and give them the choice. And the answer to that tweet was, we will. So fingers crossed i want we wanted to i wanted to at least look into that for the many people asking us um about what's what's happening and i'm 
and I have to say personally, I, I mean, I am a fan of Sky Sports coverage generally of the sports that that they do. I've I've watched I watch football there. I watch NFL. I watch the golf. It's not cheap, but it's a really good service if you if you're into all those things. I think the problem comes when you're not into all those other sports, and obviously the the sheer cost of it. I mean, it is a heck of a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, and if you only want the tennis, then you've really got to dig deep in order to see it. The plus side from a tennis perspective, whilst they're going to lose, I think, a lot of those particular dedicated tennis fans who simply can't afford it, they're probably going to gain a lot of people by the fact that they are an established platform and and they're advertising it really heavily on their main platforms. I saw 5 million people were watching the darts final the other day and tennis at the same time was advertised at the, the head of it. So that's that's really good news. But it is a concern, um, the, the sheer amount that's been paid for, that you have to pay for it. And the hope is that if if in the future that match choice will be available. I personally think it will. I think that, that that'll just take a little bit of time to come. But Matt, it is, it's an important element to watching tv in 2024 isn't it yeah and i i think you've put it really well there in terms of it it feeling a bit like going back in time because it has felt like that this opening week of the season um you know i mentioned last week the amanda nisimova comeback was not available to watch here i tried to watch arena sabalenka's match against zulin the other day and that was not available um and I think there are some questions about what that match choice will end up looking like. You know, Sky is just, it's not an app on a smart TV like like Prime is or like Tennis TV is, which is so so ready-made for a streaming option to have lots available. You know, it, I don't know whether it will be a red button situation or whether it will be a Sky Go situation. I mean, those would be much better than nothing. But even those don't quite feel like replicating the standard that have been set by by Amazon and, and by Tennis TV for the ATP. Um, I saw Steve Fraser make make the point this week on Twitter that Steve Simon's decision all those years ago to take WTA off Tennis TV has has really hurt the tennis fan, you know, and and it's really hurt the WTA, I think, in terms of promotion. I mean, it's I said last week it's so stark that when Tennis TV has the United Cup the promotion that they're then able to give the women's matches and the highlights package they're able to create. It's just something we don't get the rest of the year. And I think it's such a shame. Um, I agree. I'm, I'm sure they will get there, Sky, with the match choice. But I've been disappointed that it wasn't ready to go from the start. You know, you've 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 got the rights already and there are multiple matches to watch. And it, it just feels pretty unsatisfactory that through the first few months of the season, we're not we're not getting that option. Um, one thing I would say is I get, and this is, I'm sorry to anyone who isn't in the UK for this, but I get um, I get Sky Sports through a Virgin stream box and, and, and that works out at about £18.50 a month, which I think is the, the cheapest way that I've found to get Sky Sports, but you have to have Virgin internet for that. But if you wanted to sort of get a bit of a package with internet and Sky Sports, that is one way of doing it. That's what I've done. Um, but yeah, as you said, there are lots of benefits. They are promoting the tennis. I was watching Monday Night Football and it was promoted on there. Um, they're doing, you know, social media as well. So, you know, it can be a good thing for getting eyeballs on tennis, but it, it feels pretty sort of obstructive so far as a as, as a way in um, for for the sort of dedicated tennis fan. It's it's yeah, it's 
it's not been a great start to the season to be able to watch WTA tennis in the UK. It's just been it's just been so hard, and you've been you've been limited by what you're able to watch, which is a shame. Well, fingers crossed uh, that uh, all improves in time. I mean, knowing some of the people involved, I, I, I'm sure they are listening and going to um, do what they can to improve it. Um, and uh, that can't come soon enough. Now, a couple of other bits uh, of news just before we finish up. Uh, Madison Keys sadly is out of the Australian Open with a shoulder injury. Liam Brody, from a British perspective as well, is out with an ankle injury. Um, he was making the point today on social media that he he doesn't want to take the check, and it's massive. I mean, it's sixty four thousand pounds that he's sacrificing, but he doesn't want to be out for three months by playing on it and he also doesn't think it's fair which I think is a really good message you know to to give to other players to think about you know the importance of the sport and the other players opportunities that you're taking away if you just if you just pitch up but it's a heck of a loss a heck heck of a hit in the pocket for him having finally got into the Australian Open um there is a there's no wild card for uh Roger Nova despite being the top ranked Australian woman Goodness me, that's a that's a bit of a, a controversy. I think she was quite outspoken about that as well, as I seem to remember on the uh, on the old social media. Um, I'm not surprised to be honest. Um, we've uh, we've got loads more tennis this week. I, I tell you what, Matt, you're going to have to have your apps ready again uh, and your very your various uh, stri- if you can find them. Uh, WTA Adelaide uh, 500 has got Rabakina, Pagula, Krachikova. Um, Paula Badosa is going to make her return. We've got Hobart happening. We've got Auckland ATP event happening this time with Ben Shelton as the top seed. Uh, Denis Shapovalov making his return. I wonder what he sees, uh, thinks when he sees um, Jamie Delgado coaching Grigor Dimitrov to such success. Maybe that's uh, a decision he shouldn't have made. Anyway, uh, there's the tournament in Adelaide with uh, Tommy Paul and, oh, Big surprise, Nicholas Jarry's in the agenda. Uh, top two seeds in uh, in the Adelaide 250. And uh, we've got Australian Open qualifying starting as well. Um, so, yeah, that's the week to come. We will be out in Melbourne joining up with Catherine on Wednesday night uh, following our flights. The draw for the Australian Open is on Thursday. So the three of us will be getting together to record a, a post-draw show. We've then got all the press conferences from the players on Friday and if all goes according to plan our general idea is to have a live show on YouTube on Saturday morning from Melbourne which will be night time or evening time on Friday in the UK it'll be afternoon uh, or earlier in the day in the United States depending on where you are Um, but yes we will let you know keep across our newsletter uh, and we'll let you know when our live show is going to be. We'll also be making that into a, a podcast, of course, as well, reacting to Media Day and all the press conferences. And then the tournament, don't forget, it's a bit like bringing your clocks forward and back. It starts on Sunday. So don't get caught out and think the tournament starts on Monday like it used to because you'll have missed a whole day. So don't plan anything for Sunday, all right? You've just got to watch tennis and listen to us. Catherine, final bit of business. We have a mascot for this episode, and I don't really know how to pronounce the name of the dog owned by Ted Vasquez, but I'm going to give it a go. Chicklet or Chicklet? Uh, I think what do we it's think? Chick- I think it's Chicklet. <clears throat> okay. Ted mm. says Chicklet is a six-year-old 
What is this? A shipu? Shipu. Shipu. Uh, okay. Shih tzu um, poodle cross. Okay, great. Um, and Ted adopted her when he accompanied a friend who was adopting a dog at a local shelter and decided to go along for the ride. My friend left with no dog. <laughs> I left with Chicklet. <laughs> she loves chasing lizards and iguanas and romping on the beach. Can you tell we live in Florida? <laughs> That's Ted uh, talking about Chicklet, who is wearing a, a little pullover, a little pink woolly mm. jumper. It's a lovely little jumper. Billy Jean would look good in that. It's very fetching. Yeah. It's giving it's a fetching dog evermore. It's a, it's a, oh, it is. It's a great look. Thank you, Ted, for bringing uh, Chicklet into our lives. She's um, really gorgeous. Really gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't heard your pet talked about and drooled over on the tennis podcast, it's just because we haven't got to him or her just yet and uh we will be sending out a note asking for details of pet mascots and shout outs for the 2024 uh editions which uh, which have been snapped up um with great uh, fervor over the last uh, month or so yeah we'll be sending out a note asking for those but we're still trying to get through the 2023 backlog enjoying every minute of it at the moment you'll be able to see a picture of chiclet in the uh, newsletter which will be going out in a few days time so make sure you're signed up to that and as a final point of business, we have our own presenter mascots. I've got Francis the cat. Catherine's got Darwin. Matt has got Haida and Soma. Uh, and we have our top folks in, and executive producers, Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff. Thank you all, as always. And Matt, we have shout outs. Yes, we have five shout outs, starting with Laura Slattery who is in Dublin. Hello, hey. Laura. We've had Laura before, haven't we? We know Laura. Yes, Laura says, I'm an Andy Marion Onsjabur fan who's been a listener Aww. since 2016. Good stuff, Aww. Laura. These are good like Laura things. Sigmund. Like Laura Sigmund, United Cup champion. Yeah. Although Thanks, we're Laura. supposed to call her Laura, aren't we? And maybe... Um. Maybe Laura Slattery is also a Laura, but um, maybe not. <laughs> like Laura Robson. Indeed. There we go. Thank you, Laura. We've also got Katura. We know Katura. Oh, Katura. She is a quiz fiend, Katura. Yeah, she beats me every year. Every and time. She... <laughs> <laughs> She's she was also the owner of our first ever mascot, Charlie the Ferret. Yeah, debut mascot. All those years ago, Charlie will Thank always you, have that. Thank you, Katura. Thanks for your um, ongoing support. Always, it's much appreciated. We've got Courtney McCreesh, who is in Vienna, Virginia, USA. Okay, Ooh, I didn't know there was a Vienna mm. in Virginia. Me neither. Courtney says, my brother got me into the tennis podcast during the pandemic. We love it. Aww. Thanks, Courtney. We love it it when good things come out of the pandemic. Um, Like Courtney Walsh, the um, Australian tennis writer. Yeah, who we'll be seeing in a few days' time. Lovely bloke. Yeah, who's a a mean tennis player, isn't he, Matt? 
Yes, he'll be he'll be beating me in a few days' time. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> and we've also got Karthik Jayaraman, who is in Melbourne. Hello, Karthik. Oh, right, perfect. Karthik. We'll we see like you there. That. <laughs> yeah, we might actually. Do we know anything else about Karthik? A long-time listener and fan of the pods, obsessed with tennis and has been going to the Australian Open for the last 15 years since moving from the US. Oh, wow. that's more years than me. That's Go good on, commitment. So ju- maybe just missed out on the 2008 show that we relived? That yes. Edition? But there are thereabouts. But, but, but we'll have access to the opportunity to relive it, courtesy of being a friend of the tennis podcast. So, <laughs> exactly. Well done, Karthik. <laughs> Thanks, Karthik. And finally, we have Wilson Lee, who is in San Jose. And Wilson would like to give a shout out to Chris Evert because Wilson says, for nine years, I had the privilege to drive for the longest running women's tournament in the world. One year, Chris Evert stepped into my car and instead of sitting in the usual rear seat, insisted on riding in the front. Normally, passengers are too preoccupied to chat, but in this case, Chris asked for my first name before I could even greet her. She asked about me and my life for the whole journey. As we reached the destination, she told me how delighted she was to talk. Remembering my name, said goodbye, Wilson. Her geniality made her more than just an all-time great. I want to take an opportunity to give her a shout-out. Which I thought was lovely. Oh, that's so wonderful. Wow. Thank you, Wilson. Thank you, Wilson. Those are really lovely words. They they tally with the person that, that I've come across a few times, Chris Everett, and I think all of us would like to just wish her the very best at what is a really difficult time with her having to undergo treatment once again for cancer. We hope that uh, that Chrissy is going to be really well really soon and back on the tennis scene. But Wilson, thanks so much for being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. Thank you for those kind words. Thank you to all friends of the Tennis Podcast because you're enabling us to really do what we're doing and uh, to, to throw ourselves into this job of producing the tennis podcast doesn't always feel like a job but we do work hard honest and uh, we're going to be out in melbourne producing nightly editions of the show we can't wait Catherine, matt i'm just gonna burst with excitement <laughs> so we better get off air and uh, yeah we'll speak to you soon <laughs>